Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, Les Enlumineurs listeners. Today, we will explore the world of Renaissance jewelry through a pendant of the Queen of Heaven. I'm Kristen Racanello, the producer and sometimes host of the Les Lumineers podcast. So, let's start with some background on Renaissance jewelry. Clothes and jewelry in the Renaissance were the material establishers of identity itself. Today, we associate the word fashion with the idea of fast fashion and change. But in the Renaissance, it simply referred to the act of making or shaping a thing. Thus, it was the goldsmith's fashion, meaning their working and shaping, that added value to the raw material they formed. Objects worn on the body had the ability to pick up a subject, to mold and shape their identity physically and socially. Worn items, that is, items that are worn on the body, retain the memory and manifestation of social status in the Renaissance. Memories of subordination were retained just as strongly in servants' livery as the manifestation of monarchy was held and projected in the coronation robes and crown. The crown made the monarch, fashioning them into an object that signified kingship. The items of Renaissance jewelry that still exist today are made out of sumptuous materials. These precious objects are composed of gold, silver gilt, enamel, rock crystal, diamonds, and other gems. In the hands of virtuoso goldsmiths who made them, the deluxe materials were transformed into impressive works of art. Goldsmiths of the Renaissance were innovative and skillful in their creation of gold and vermeil jewelry. They incorporated a variety of techniques to create perfect works which included casting, chasing, hammering, and cold joining, soldering, and welding. More advanced techniques included embossing, enameling, engraving, and filigree decoration, all techniques that we'll discuss in a future podcast. Artisans mastered these techniques, learning from ancient traditions, creating astounding pieces for rich and noble clients. It was only through the colonial use of gold mines in Peru and Mexico that gold was made readily available for Renaissance jewelers. Some well-known goldsmiths of the period include Lorenzo Ghiberti, who was an accomplished goldsmith of the Renaissance who started his career in the late 14th century. He was followed by Sandro Botticelli, Antonio Pollaiulo, Luca del Rabbia, and Andrea della Verrocchio, all of whom were trained as fine goldsmiths. You may be familiar with some of these names as painters and sculptors outside of their training as goldsmiths. This may be why jewelry and metalwork appear so prominently in Renaissance painting. For example, we see meticulously rendered glittering pendants and brooches in one of Botticelli's most famous paintings, the Primavera. 
pendants were regarded as the most eminent piece of jewelry during the Renaissance. They replaced the brooch in popularity, and pendants were worn with long gold chains fixed to the dress or worn on the girdle. Carved to perfection, from the front to the back, pendants often had miniature sculptures of biblical scenes, allegories, and or monograms. They were also sometimes designed in pairs for partners, with their initials encrusted with jewels. Elaborate Renaissance jewelry of a high quality and artistry is quite rare today, because it was so often altered with the changing of fashion, or melted down in the event of financial hardship. Or, as any jewelry owner and myself can understand and attest to, being small works of art, often these items were just plain lost. Admired as fine art now, exhibited in museums, and studied by scholars, collected by connoisseurs, and even worn by some collectors, these surviving jewels nevertheless exist outside of their original context. Documents, such as inventories and paintings, survive as primary sources for understanding who owned this jewelry, how it was worn, and what it meant. It was over 40 years ago, in 1980, that a landmark exhibition at the Victorian Albert Museum in London, entitled Princely Magnificence, attempted to present a broader cultural context for court jewels, confronting documents and paintings with the objects themselves. Subsequent studies of Renaissance jewelry have investigated the subject much more deeply from the points of view of material culture, social status, and gender difference, and included period literature in that discussion. It is often difficult, though, to identify the origins of Renaissance jewelry. As Sandra Hindman pointed out in the introduction to the catalog Living Nobly, one framework for cataloging jewelry that's particularly challenging is attempting to determine the geography or the location where a Renaissance work was created. The international nature of jewelry of the Renaissance and Baroque courts makes it difficult to define a country of manufacture for most items. Goldsmiths traveled. Printed books full of designs for jewelry were widely disseminated. And the very customs of court culture meant that jewels were often exchanged as gifts of diplomacy, or perhaps loaned. A Renaissance library could include a cabinet of curiosities, stocked with coins, cameos, statuettes, and gemstones. Like fine bindings, these objects were tokens of wealth, social standing, and knowledge, so Renaissance jewelry and gems weren't necessarily only worn on the body, they could also become parts of collections. The owners of these sumptuous objects might meditate on the meaning of carved gemstones, just as they might elucidate allegories from the medallion vignettes stamped on Renaissance book bindings. In a Camesso pendant created around 1550 at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the cardinal virtue Prudence holds two of her symbolic attributes, a serpent and a mirror, by which she heeds the aphorism, Know Thyself. 
The central figure of Prudence is made of chalcedony and situated on a deep blue enameled ground, surrounded by a mount in gold with enamel, rubies, emeralds, diamond, and pearl. A camesso cameo is a name given to a portrait jewel that combines a carved cameo with enameled gold and other precious materials such as diamonds and gemstones. The enamel on the reverse, a 19th century edition, is after a design by Etienne Delaunay. This pendant once belonged to the estate of the French courtier Claude III de Lubespin, who lived a very short life of luxury after marrying an heiress and obtaining the favor of King Charles IX. Jules figure in the estate inventory of Lobsbein's sister, Madeleine de Villeroy, a gifted poet who knew how to decipher emblems like Prudence and for whom this pendant was possibly made or gifted. Another Renaissance pendant made around the same time as the Prudence pendant at the Metropolitan Museum of Art is the pendant with the Virgin Mary as Queen of Heaven, made around 1550 and currently at Les Lumineurs. It was made in Western Europe, likely in Southern Germany or in Italy. This sumptuous image exudes regal power. It portrays the Virgin Mary as Queen of Heaven, wearing a dress and crown studded with seven large diamonds and set against a translucent, rich blue celestial background. Far removed from the tender, humble virgin seen in German and Netherlandish works of the period, she is a majestic ruler, mouth sternly set, head tilted upward, and face in full profile. The title, Queen of Heaven, has long been a Catholic tradition, included in prayers and devotional literature and seen in Western art in the subject of the coronation of the Virgin from the High Middle Ages, long before it was given a formal definition and status by the Church. As far back as the 4th century, St. Ephraim called Mary Lady and, quote, Queen, Later church founders and doctors continued to use the title. A text, probably coming from Origen, gives her the title Domina, the feminine form of the Latin Dominus, or Lord. That same title also appears in many other early writers, like Jerome and Peter Chrysologus. The first Mariological definition and basis for the title of Mary, Queen of Heaven, developed at the Council of Ephesus, where Mary was first defined to be the Mother of God. The Council Fathers specifically approved this version against the opinion that Mary is only the Mother of Jesus. Nobody had participated in the life of her son more than Mary who gave birth to the Son of God, therefore justifying this decision at the Council of Ephesus. The word queen, as a title, is common during and after the 6th century for Mary. Hymns of the 11th to 13th centuries address Mary as queen. Quote, Hail, Holy Queen, Hail, Queen of Heaven, and Queen of Heaven were all common. 
the Dominican Rosary and the Franciscan Crown, as well as numerous invocations in Mary's litany, celebrate her queenship. Despite her popular invocation as the Queen of Heaven throughout the medieval and modern periods, it was not until 1954 that this subject is expressed in the, pap in the papal encyclical Ad Caeli Reginam, issued by Pope Pius XII. This oval pendant cast in high gold relief with a central medallion, the single figure filling the space echoes jewelry portraits of the aristocracy during the Renaissance, which similarly offset the ruler's image against a blue field composed of enamel or lapis lazuli, symbolic of divine power. We can see that this extends to the Metropolitan's pendant of prudence as well, with its blue background and golden clothing. Only the rays of the shining gold halo that emerge behind the Virgin's head in our pendant and her long flowing hair distinguish this pendant portrait from female ruler portraits of the period, which would normally contain neatly coiffed hairstyles. Three studded pearls forming an axis also recall pendants of European rulers. Jewelry appears in painting, as we've just mentioned. There is, of course, Sandro Botticelli's famous painting, Portrait of a Young Woman, made between 1480 and 1485, that features a cameo pendant, a rather fascinating cameo pendant, I might add, around the sitter's painted neck. The pendant is a copy in reverse of Nero's seal, a famous antique carnelian representing Apollo and Marcius, which belonged to Lorenzo de' Medici. It is depicted in a simple golden bezel, similar to our Queen of Heaven pendant. Further, the sitter for this portrait was likely Simonetta Vespucci, the wildly popular and beautiful young woman who briefly enraptured the Florentine court. At age 16, she married Marco Vespucci, who was a distant cousin of the explorer and cartographer Amerigo Vespucci, after whom the Americas are named. Both Medici heirs, Lorenzo de' Medici the Magnificent and his younger brother Giuliano de' Medici publicly declared their admiration for Simonetta. At La Giostra, that is, a jousting tournament, in 1475, which was held at the Piazza Santa Croce, Giuliano entered the list bearing a banner upon which there was a picture of Simonetta as a helmeted Pallas Athena painted by Botticelli beneath which was the French inscription La Sans-Parier, meaning the unparalleled one. Giuliano won the tournament and nominated Simonetta as, quote, the queen of beauty at the end of that event. One year later, though, in 1476, Simonetta Vespucci died tragically young at the age of 22, likely of a tumor-related disease, although it was previously speculated that she died of tuberculosis. Her body was carried in an open casket through the streets for a mourning Florence. Botticelli, therefore, may have created the likeness with the Medici pendant posthumously as Simonetta retained a small cult of personality among the Medici court even after her death. Fantastic and imaginative jewelry was at the center of Florentine society during the Renaissance. Wealth, 
Royal status and divine power came together in this opulent pendant of the Virgin Mary as Queen of Heaven, currently at Les Lumineurs. Many portraits of the period show similar small oval pendants worn by women in the square of the garment or by men nestled inside of multiple chains below the base of the neck, as we have just seen with Botticelli's painting. Did you enjoy today's episode on Renaissance pendants? If you did, be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast, and even share this podcast with a friend who might be interested. We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode's topic. Do you know something about pendants, Renaissance Florence, or Renaissance portraiture or cameos? Let us know! You can find out more about the jewelry that we discussed today on our website, and you can reach out with comments and questions through our social media at Listen Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.